Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow up. Thursday, May 7th, you, me, Locked On Dolphins, brought to you by Bilt Bar, and it's scheduled release day, everybody. We just got done digesting the NFL draft and the picks being made, and we had our first signing yesterday of an actual Miami Dolphins member of the rookie draft class. Those are things we're going to touch on and continue to, to discuss and want to talk about We talked about defensive line tendencies. We want to talk about offensive line tendencies because there's some interesting extensions upon what we discussed yesterday on the show. Uh, But the schedule release, we're also going to touch on and discuss uh, who the Dolphins' opponents are, what we know thus far. The release will be tonight, so it will go in-depth by game-by-game tomorrow and talk about how the schedule makers did or did not do the Dolphins any favors as far as who they draw when in the season. But the fresh news of the day today is the Miami Dolphins have inked fourth-round draft selection offensive guard Solomon Kindly to a four-year, $4.1 million contract, making him the first member of the Dolphins' 2020 NFL draft class to formally sign his rookie deal. And with the rookie wage scale being set the way that it is, there's not a lot of room for wiggle room or negotiations or posturing to try and get a better deal necessarily. That's not something that's that's in play so much more these days. Of course, you still see players that will hold out for fine print. But kindly being the first, one of the first rookies overall to sign his deal is a nice get for the Dolphins as they look to kind of get everybody in place. And there's going to be unique challenges this offseason uh, regardless of anything else with the, the virtual offseason. And uh, Roger Goodell sent out a memo yesterday informing the teams that they needed to have their procedures in place for Phase 1 of NFL facility reopenings by uh, May 15th, which is just around the corner. It's a week from tomorrow. Uh, remains to be seen as far as what the timeline is for getting everybody back in the building. But the sooner the Dolphins can get these guys signed and inked the better and kindly being the first domino to fall is a nice way for the Dolphins to kind of close in towards the end of this week. Obviously, the fan attention will be on the schedule release. The one player who may be interesting uh, to see materialize would be uh, obviously Tua. Uh, Tua is a quarterback, the prized possession of the Dolphins' 2020 NFL draft. And having Agent Lee Steinberg representing him Lee's been around the block multiple times. He represents and has represented some of the best stars in the game, uh, including Patrick Mahomes as one of his clients. And I would imagine, too, there will be some discussions and negotiations regarding fine print uh, for Tua, but nothing that should prevent him from ultimately being signed with plenty of notice. Uh, So let's not panic as Dolphins fans or anything like that that Solomon Kindly is the only guy signed at this point in the game. It's still very, very early. Like I said, Kindly is one of the first overall offensive linemen to sign deals. So Dolphins should feel good about that. Which brings us to a good transition into 
uh, Solomon Kindly and the rest of the Miami Dolphins offensive line specifically. And when you look over the influx in offensive linemen that has been brought onto this roster over the course of the last 16 months, uh, as I said, we did this yesterday. We talked about the trends along the defensive line and the size and the density amongst, you know, Strobridge, Davis, Wilkins, Weaver, Agba, Lawson on the defensive side of the football. Did the same kind of glean over the offensive line, and then the names brought in Dieter Jackson, Hunt, Kindly, Davenport, Karras, and Flowers. Over the past 16 months, Dieter, 2019 third-round pick, Austin Jackson, 2020 first-round pick, Robert Hunt, 2020 second-round pick, Solomon Kindly, 2020 fourth-round pick, Julian Davenport came over in the Laramie Tunsil deal, Ted Karras and Eric Flowers came over in 2020 free agency. The trends that you identify as commonalities across all players in the offensive line group, (laughs) it's exactly the same as what is on the defensive side of the football. The average weight of these seven offensive linemen brought into Miami's roster over the course of the past 16 months, uh, 320.7 pounds. Big boys. If you remember the defense fans we talked about yesterday, 270.5. The two interior defensive linemen, 313 pounds. The average weight of seven offensive linemen is 321 pounds effectively. And it might even be higher than that now if Michael Dieter's playing at heavier than the 309 pounds he's list- he would keep- was listed at coming through the 2020 or 2019 NFL Combine. Beef. Folks, beef up front. They want big bodies. And the only commonality from an athletic trait perspective, you had fast short shuttle times, fast three-cone times, slow three-cone times, varying degrees of arm length. You know, Julian Davenport has like 36-inch arms. Uh, Robert Hunt, who they're reportedly going to be trying at right tackle, 33 and three quarter inch arms. So there's a clear threshold here for offensive tackle between Davenport, Jackson, and Hunt. Those three guys have 33 and three quarters plus, but going all the way up to like 36 and a half. Eric Flowers was drafted as an offensive tackle. He has good length, but the other guys, the interior guys, no trends whatsoever with arm length. Standing broad jump is the test. You look across the guys who participated in standing broad jump, 70th percentile or better. If you remember, the defensive side of the football across all the defensive linemen that were brought in, average of 313 on the inside, 270.5 on the outside, 60th percentile was the benchmark for standing broad for those. Everybody was above that. Every standing broad jump we have for offensive linemen brought in for the Dolphins, 70th percentile or better. 810, 810, 809, 907 for Austin Jackson, which is in the 97th percentile. Big bodies, explosiveness in short spaces in the lower half. That is the barometer for qualifying to be a Miami Dolphins lineman on either side of the line of scrimmage. This team mentality is control and dominate the point of attack on both sides of the line. How do you do that? Bigger bodies than your opposition 
and lower body explosiveness to take your opposition, whoever's on the other side of the line of scrimmage from you, and take him from point A to point B against their will. The assumption here is we can work on the hand placement, we can work on the strike timing, we can work on extension skills for more consistency to stack blocks defensively. But if you don't have the requisite amount of explosiveness in your frame in short spaces and mass, size, and anchor, you can't play for us. It's pretty telling, and it's pretty interesting, and this is something I'm looking forward to doing with say, the defensive backs, when you think about bringing in Eric Rowe and Byron Jones and Noeg Bahogany and Nick Needham, even though he's you know was an undrafted free agent, and looking at trends there to try and find what are the common traits across the board that have to be boxes checked. Because if we get to this time next year, Robert Hunt, say he fails outside of the offensive tackle, kicks inside and kicks ass at guard. Great, that's good news for the Dolphins. But do you want Jesse Davis to be your long-term blindside protector for Tua? Or do you want to go get another offensive tackle? If there's a top offensive tackle, and he's 308, and he tests 8-1 in the broad, you could probably cross him off the list for the Dolphins. The more sample size we have with this regime, the better chances we're going to have to whittle and narrow the list and clearly identify what the must-have traits are. We have a pretty good snapshot here at the line of scrimmage. Skill players? Fascinated. I'm fascinated to see where they choose to gravitate themselves at the skill players because this is pretty clearly the next step in the evolution is, okay, we got the trenches, we feel really good about what we have here, now let's build this roster like we want to play the game of football inside out strong up the middle and then we get stronger outside got a special deal for you guys mentioned at the top of the show today's episode of locked on dolphins is brought to you by built bar these things are amazing it's not hyperbole best protein bar i've ever had my degree is in exercise science and human movement sciences from Penn State University. I like to stay active. You know, even amongst quarantine and, and all the restrictions that are in place right now, I still like to get outside the house and move a little bit. And, and there's nothing that, that kind of helps you bounce back than that something quick and easy when you're done your workout. These are also great snack, great filler, meal replacement, you name it. I guarantee you, you will have a use for Built Bar. They have seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar, and more protein than the vast majority of competitive protein bars. And unlike most other protein bars, this is not like chewing on the sole of your shoe. These things taste and chew like candy bars. They're awesome. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first box. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON, to get $10 off off your first box of the only protein bar you'll have for the rest of your life. Let's talk about the schedule for the Miami Dolphins. We know who the Dolphins are going to be playing. Tonight we are going to find out what order we're playing them in. Report from John Clayton last night uh, that the NFL is going to be placing the non-conference teams 
aka for the Dolphins, the NFC West, within the first four weeks of the season. So that way, heaven forbid we need to cancel games. Heaven forbid we need to move games and not be business as usual, which is how the NFL is attempting to attack this offseason despite all the unknown. They are the most easily sacrificed or movable games because they're non-conference. They're non-essential games, effectively. The league's going to look at it that way. With the NFC West, that means the 49ers, Rams, Seahawks, and Arizona Cardinals. And if indeed we have Arizona and San Francisco on the road and the Rams and Seahawks at home, that kind of sucks uh, to play those the first four games of the season, <laughs> mainly because uh, the Dolphins are going to be starting probably five new offensive linemen. Five new offensive linemen, virtual offseason, questionable start time to training camp to get everybody onboarded means you're probably going to have a butt-ton of communication issues up front for your offensive line. And if that is indeed the case, let me tell you who you don't want to play first or early in the season in September. The San Francisco 49ers with a six-deep of like first-round picks on their defensive line. Or the LA Rams with Aaron Donald. But... We'll take it as it comes. The good news is uh, the Dolphins do get the Rams and Seahawks at home, uh, which having West Coast teams come East is uh, a, a nice little bonus to having to play such a tough schedule. Uh, Cardinals and San Francisco will be road games. They will be challenging games for the Dolphins. We also play the AFC West. Kansas City Chiefs, Denver Broncos, LA Chargers, LA Ra or Las Vegas Raiders. Another imposing slate when you think about uh, these teams had some good drafts. The Chargers came over to Miami last year and won for the first time in almost 30 years in South Florida. Like that is a potential win for the Dolphins. Uh, the Raiders are an interesting team to watch. They're getting younger, more athletic, uh, but they also have a lot of new pieces, and they had to deal with some rumors about Derek Carr and Coach Gruden and how much Coach Gruden wanted Derek Carr to be his quarterback long-term. Uh, so, fun little question there is, you know, is there going to be some points of contention there? Can the Dolphins get to uh, Derek Carr? Broncos, another young quarterback. If Locke plays, Drew Locke plays well, Dolphins are going to be challenged because the Broncos have really exciting group of pass catchers. It'll be a fun opportunity to watch the Dolphins secondary play against Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, Melvin Ingram, or Melvin Melvin Gordon, and Philip Lindsay. Yeah, that that is one heck of a supporting cast around a young a young quarterback. Uh Juwan James revenge game, maybe. Miami has the Raiders and Broncos on the road. Kansas City Chiefs and LA Chargers at home. Obviously, we have our slew of AFC East games. We have six games between the Patriots, Bills, and Jets combined, home and road apiece. If I were a betting man, no comment here, but I might actually be a betting man for all you know. If I were a betting man, I would bet the Dolphins sweep the New York Jets this season. I happen to prescribe to the idea that coaching is as important as it's ever been. And the divide between the New York Jets coaching staff and the Miami Dolphins coaching staff is quite vast. 
Dolphins should have swept this team last year. Phantom DPI there against Nick Needham. Put the Jets in position to kick game-winning field goal. I would be willing to bet they sweep the Jets this year. You get one against the Bills. You get one against the Patriots. Hopefully, you can walk out of the AFC East with a 4-2 and two record. You've done your job to position yourselves to contend for a playoff spot. Even if you're 500, you break 500. You know, you're probably not going to break 500 against the West. You're probably not going to break 500 against the NFC West. Then it comes down to, okay, can you take care of business in your, your two non-con or your two non-divisional conference games? For the Dolphins this year, finishing in fourth place, that's the Jacksonville Jaguars and Cincinnati Bengals. The road game here, Jacksonville, which is cush, glorious. We got a road game driving up 95 to Jacksonville. Okay. At least they don't have to travel to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got to come down, and I hope, I hope it's a December football game. Just like last year. You guys are used to playing in the cold. The bonus to playing them early, hypothetically, hypothetically if we got the Bengals early. Uh, rookie quarterback, the Dolphins, while they do have a lot of new pieces, it's pretty straightforward for Byron Jones. You're going to play press man on probably the opposing team's number one wide receiver. And a lot of the other pieces... Van Noyce played for Flores before. He he knows this system. He's going to be able to make an impact pretty quickly. Just and, and the Dolphins should have a decided advantage with their front seven versus the Bengals' offensive line. Bengals have nice skill players. Bengals do not have nice offensive line. Dolphins spent their offseason going out getting ass kickers up front so they can physically beat people up at the line of scrimmage. Like that matchup for Miami. All in all, my expectations, we need to see the fine print as far as when we catch some of these teams. Uh, but I'm hopeful and optimistic that we may see this Dolphins team push for 500, maybe a winning record. It depends. It really honestly depends on uh, the divisional games, which is typically the case. And if, they're, if they can go 500 against the NFC West, you're in a really good position to potentially push for 8-9 for wins. We're going to go week by week and kind of break down some of the dynamics tomorrow on the show. Uh, we also have to continue our crossover series with the NFC West, uh, joined by Locked On Rams and Bear today. Uh, great segment talking about the Rams and some parallels. Dolphins fans, you'll find this interesting. I talk with Bear a little bit about how uh, the LA Rams are a team that's operating much like how the Dolphins operated under Mike Tannenbaum living up against the cap year to year. You make some sacrifices. You make some long-term extend or some, some restructured contracts, kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, create enough cap space to sign a star. Okay, great. But slowly but surely, you run the risk of seeing the bottom drop out. Where does Bear feel like the Rams are in that position? And, and to the Rams' credit, they played for a Super Bowl. Dolphins lived this lifestyle and couldn't even make the playoffs. So some pretty interesting dynamics and parallels between the two teams and how the Rams value offensive line versus how the Dolphins used to value offensive line. So we are going to turn things over to this crossover series with Bear and Locked on Rams. But before we do, I want to tell you guys about a great opportunity for you to win Mother's Day this year. Mother's Day is your mom's Super Bowl. So celebrate this Mother's Day by scoring her favorite gift of the day. Your mom will be able to travel in her mind to exotic India, sample the food, and laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book of fiction called The Henna Artist. 
It's Reese Witherspoon's book club's pick for the month of May, by the way. Anytime in May, you can post a picture of you or your mom holding the ebook or book on Instagram and Facebook and tag the author at the Alkayoshi. And a no- donation of four meals proposed, up to 10,000 meals, will be going towards Feeding America. So, guys and girls, buy the henna artist today at your favorite bookseller, including Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, and Target, and make mom the ultimate winner in your family this Mother's Day. Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins being joined by Bear Motter of Locked On Rams. We are continuing this crossover series between the AFC East and the NFC West. We get a chance to get some untraditional matchups between these two teams and, and divisions throughout the course of this year. And uh, Bear, first and foremost, you guys had a very different experience with the NFL draft in 2020 than the Dolphins did. I feel like these were a tale of two different teams uh, in different phases of their life cycles, but uh, really appreciate you carving some time. Uh, how things going and, and how was the draft and how how has the reception been for the draft for Rams fans? Yeah, I feel like the reception is a, is a two-part reception, right? The initial shock of we went running back wide receiver. What the heck? You know, I thought we had a lot of defensive uh, holes we need to fill. And, and then kind of as you start to dig into these guys, you start to see who the Rams picked up in the third round as well as they kind of added pieces there. You start to see people coming around and envisioning you know, Cam Akers in this offense and hearing Les Need and Sean McVay talk about how excited they are about him and Van Jefferson. So it was like a two part. And I think I was definitely a part of that when I was watching it live thinking, you know, okay, this isn't, you know, I did a thousand mocks coming up and Cam Akers never seemed to be in any one of mine. Uh, but that seems like how it always goes. And in and, and a lot of my mocks, I was trying to get as many picks from you guys as possible. I was trying to do all these right. trades with the Dolphins to try to move back and select, you know, grab some of those picks. I thought that was going to be the Rams game plan coming in, trying to get as many selections as possible. As so many people said, this draft is so deep in so many positions. Uh, But that wasn't the case. They didn't trade until the fourth round. They only had one trade. And they got guys that they really liked. And and they found the first four picks that they got. These are guys that can play uh, right away and find a, you know, find a niche in this uh, scheme somewhere to get some playing time in year one. So I look at the Rams and where they are at as a team right now, and obviously with the departures of Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley and, and the money that's rolled up into that, Dolphins fans definitely understand what the Rams are feeling right now as far as the squeeze from the salary cap and how you guys have had to restructure Jared Goff's contract to work open a little bit of space and obviously long-term thinking about silent, signing Jalen Ramsey. The Dolphins did this for a very long time lived up against the cap, you know, tried to to squeeze every year out to make a competitive push. But unlike the Dolphins, the Rams have actually had some success. What is the sense and feeling of the Rams and their long-term longevity that they have to be a successful football team? Because that's not something that the Dolphins were really able to capture throughout the course of their time under Mike Tannenbaum, which is when they were really pressed up against the cap every year. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, you saw a couple of years ago when they went to the Super Bowl and they made a couple of those big trades in the offseason. Mm-hmm. They brought in uh, Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters. You kept hearing people say, oh, they're going all in. They're going all in. And Lesney continued to say, like, we're trying to go all in every year. Like, we're not trying to build and break down and build and break down. And obviously, with the way that they've built a lot of these contracts, that kind of was going to be the case at some point, especially with the Gurley injury. Uh, Brandon Cooks had, you know, his own injuries with, you know, some of the head stuff as well. Um, so, you know, it's interesting cause I think the, the Rams are going to continue to always be competitive. 
um, and try to have this, uh, you know, idea of going for it at all times. So you'll see them move some big time players. They're going to shock you. They're going to kind of uh, play on that edge of, you know, is that the right thing or is it not? And I kind of like that in the style of being aggressive. And you're not going to hear a lot of Rams fans kind of like looking at them and poking them with a stick, like do something, do something less need. And this organization is going to continue to try to find a way to win. Um, they got Jared Goff. They're really excited about him They're You know, nationally, I don't think people are as excited as they are out here in Los Angeles about Jared Goff had a down year last year. Uh, but with Sean McVay controlling the offense, bringing in Kevin O'Connell and kind of having some help there as offense coordinator, kind of excited to see him as a bounce back. We finally have healthy running backs. We don't have to have that discussion in the offseason, which really dominated the talk last season. And then you got Aaron Donald on the defense side of the ball uh, and Jalen Ramsey, you know, defending uh, out in that secondary. So you got two elite players. I think that's something that, you know, the Rams fans will be, you know, used to seeing here is dominant players at some positions. And then a lot of young guys filling in, trying to get it done. That's just the way that Les Snead has kind of, uh, built this program and you know it may work sometimes it may not but I think he's going to continue to stay uh, you know really risky and aggressive in all of this and trying to put together a championship team looking out in the NFC West it's you know you got to be aggressive to go get it because mm -hmm. the Seahawks Niners and now Cardinals uh, all of a sudden waking up and realizing that they can make some good moves and you know, stack some really good talent. They've done pretty well over the last couple of years, and I think they're going to get better. So uh, it's going to be, you know, aggressive nature out here, but I think the Rams have a short-term and a long-term plan in mind. I think both involve, you know, trying to stack up 9, 10, 11 wins a season. And then just hoping you you have that get hot at the right time and make the deep postseason run. Um, exactly. Building some as veterans. I, yeah, as I, as I look at, the roster for LA, you know, we we've talked about how they're in a, a mindset of trying to win now and trying to, to walk the tight rope to be able to restock and reload every year. One area that uh, has been a sore spot for the dolphins for a really long time um, that I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on bear for the Rams, the offensive line. Uh, when they made the run to the super bowl, it was Roger Saffold and John Sullivan were parts of that offensive interior. And those guys left after 2018 and, uh, you had mentioned the injury issues with the running back stable with Todd Gurley and obviously that playing a part in why the running game didn't necessarily find as much success in 2019 as it did in 2018 for the Rams. Were you surprised to see them effectively stand pat? They drafted a seventh round offensive lineman from Clemson, Tremaine Ancrum, but really that was the only addition to this group. Did they, I, I take it they like that interior group and some of the depth that they have there, even though some of these guys aren't really established and polished at the pro level yet? Yeah, I think nationally, the look of the Rams is, you know, they had a pretty bad offense line. They didn't do anything about it. Uh, but if you take a deeper look and you go back over the last two drafts, they brought in a lot of guys that they really like. And we saw David Edwards and Bobby Evans from last year step in near the end of the season and play really well. I mean, obviously, there's still uh, some work to be done there and trying to be a full-time guy that you can count on. Rob Havenstein, uh, right tackle, went out with an injury near the end, and they never really brought him back. Uh, he struggled probably his worst year as a Ram. Uh, so if he can get back to what we saw in that 2017, 2018 season where we could really count on him at the right side, you know, you got some stability there. Austin Blythe uh, was playing guard last season. They moved him over to center. He really started to pick up his game. Uh, so I think they like some of these young guys. Joseph Noteboom never really gotten a shot full time. Uh, he started at left guard last year towards ACL. Uh, that was done for him. So they drafted him. 
Uh, I believe it was third round two years ago. So they've got some young guys that they're still really excited about. I was surprised, though, to not see uh, some you know interior offensive line help in this draft. Again, as we talked mm-hmm. about being pretty deep in all these positions, there were some guys, maybe fourth round, uh, you know, I maybe not expect them to go and waste the second round pick and they wanted to fill immediate needs there. But, uh, you know, Andrew Whitworth, you know, signed a three year deal. He's not sticking around for three years. You, you know, you hope you get a year out of him. But, uh, you know, it is interesting a little bit, but it kind of shows uh, that they're going to live and die by this offense line they have. And they kind of made that decision when they let Roger Saffold walk uh, and they kind of, you know, rebuilt that with Brian Allen at center, who is kind of not really. Uh, shown to be much yet again he had an injury last year as well so uh it it is a a head scratcher but at the same time they're kind of doubling down right now and saying these are our guys and yeah maybe next year we'll look to add some more value depending on what Andrew Whitworth does but uh they they really believe in what they have Aaron Cromer is the offensive or is the line coach there uh and they really trust in what he can do so these guys can play multiple positions but yeah a little surprising that they didn't add some more depth in here but they didn't have a lot of draft picks and they decide to fill needs elsewhere. That's been my most favorite part of this crossover series is is talking to you guys over in the NFC West and and trying to find coming into these conversations what the parallels are to the Dolphins now, what the parallels are to how the Dolphins used to operate, and can definitely see some parallels as far as the Rams and Dolphins from a spending philosophy. And, you know, choosing to identify your guys and really betting on yourselves um, as far as personnel. But the big difference being uh, now the Dolphins are a team that is much more like how the Rams are viewing this uh, as far as player development being a really big thing and having young guys that they like. Whereas, you know, the Dolphins of old would be spending and and pick a guy that they like who's 32 years old and say, okay, this guy's going to take care of this guard problem for us. And lo and behold, he gets hurt week one and doesn't play the rest of the season and you haven't addressed the offensive line at all. So uh, that's going to do it for us here on Locked On Dolphins. Really want to thank Bear, uh, you for your time. Great insight on the LA Rams. I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your summer. Best of luck in the buildup to when we eventually see you. I know we're going to find out a little later today when we will be facing off against each other, and hopefully we can uh, reconnect and and get back on the horn here once this matchup rolls around in the fall. Yeah, appreciate the conversation and, and really looking forward to our next conversation about uh, when when we're playing. And, and you know, obviously in the AFC East, we got uh, you guys and the Bills on the road. We're looking a little bit more forward to coming down to South Florida than up into New York, depending on what time of year. So excited to have that conversation. Uh, best of luck, be safe, and can't wait to hear some of the content you're putting up in the meantime. That's going to do it for us today on Locked On Dolphins. I hope you enjoyed the crossover with Locked On Rams and Bear Modern. Excellent listen. If you have any Rams fans, would highly recommend Have them hit subscribe on Locked On Rams. Tomorrow we have a crossover with Locked On Seahawks to look forward to, in addition to breaking down the finer points of the schedule reveal. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. Come on back and see us again tomorrow.